I'm Fletcher from mindfullanguage.com, and you're listening to Greeking Out, a podcast for ancient and coining Greek learners full of tools, tips, and possibly tirades on learning Greek using comprehension-based methods. If that isn't familiar to you, check out episode zero, The Manifesto, for more info. In this episode, I talk with Kevin Grasso, one of the founders of Biblingo. Kevin's story is a bit different from some of the other people I've interviewed. He started out trying to apply communicative methods. He's also trying to bring insights from general linguistics into the Koine Greek world. We talk about second language acquisition theory and how this applies to learning ancient languages. There's some really great stuff in here. So without further ado, let's jump in. Well, hi, Kevin. Thanks for taking the time to to chat. Um, I really appreciate it. Yeah, glad to be here. Um, you know, again, like I've done in a lot of these um, episodes, I just I think it's really helpful for people to see, you know, hear stories of learners and how they've gotten from you know, beginning to, you know, a fairly high degree of competency, um, and, and in your case too, producing an you know uh, producing an app and a language learning app uh, in both Greek and Hebrew, which is really cool. Um, so I'm sure your story will be interesting and helpful for people as they're trying to figure out you know, find their own way through, uh, learning Hebrew and in this case, Greek. Um, so again, thank you for agreeing to you know, sit down and share some of your thoughts and experiences. Yeah, of course. Happy to, uh, be on here and talk about Greek and Hebrew. So this is what I do. So, so what, so just specifically I'll be talking about Greek, but if you have insights from Hebrew, you think are relevant, please feel free to throw them in. But what got you interested in learning Greek, um, in the beginning? Yeah. So, um, I really started learning it on my own in college as an undergrad. Um, I was in a Hebrew class because, um, well, I had really originally started with Hebrew because there was no room left in the Greek class. <laughs> um, so I, you know, said Hebrew is better than uh, nothing. And um, so I, I, I was taking classes, like formal classes in Hebrew and I was like, well, I need to learn Greek too. Um, so I just started doing stuff on my own. I got Athenaze and started working through that. Um, but I really, the whole kind of like impetus behind both Greek and Hebrew to begin with was um, really an interest in theological conversations um, that I realized I really could not participate in in a meaningful way if I didn't know the languages. So for me, I was trying to engage with people that were claiming certain things about what a Greek word meant. And I said, well, I, if I don't know Greek, I can't engage, right. And have a real opinion about that conversation, um, you know, without, without really knowing the language. Um, well, so that was kind of how I got into it. Um, and, you know, obviously from there I started getting into like, okay, I asked the question, how do I, how do I actually learn this language like well <laughs> um and that led me down a different path um that you know is is um not the traditional seminary path but but one i think is very uh fruitful so so you said something interesting in there and, and you may be like the first person i've had on the podcast that started with athena's a um mm. why did you pick that instead of like mounts's basics of biblical greek i'm assuming you were in you know theologically oriented you know seminary kind of classes so 
Um, why, why not one of the standard Koine grammars? Why Athenaze? Well, now that I think I'm thinking about it, I actually started, there's this like New Testament Greek online, I think like this free, yeah, um, like kind of, so I started there and um, just was like working through stuff. And, you know, if you're working through the grammar, um, yeah, I mean, you're like, I could not actually read anything, right. <laughs> you know, like and understand it. Um, I mean, I could pronounce the all the sounds, um, but even that wasn't very good. But but um, I actually so I started there and then I I believe John Schwant had a course that used Authenize. Um, So I got the textbooks and started working through that course. Um, and then also, you know, I mean, like I, I found Authenize early on to be like pretty helpful um, just because it engages like, you know, more of the language learning pieces than yeah. in, you know, other more traditional textbooks. Um, at the same time, I was in Hebrew class um, with I was. So this was at the University of Georgia. So it was not a like Christian school or, you know, anything like that. So basically at the University of Georgia in my Hebrew class, it was kind of this like mixed Hebrew and or like modern Hebrew and biblical Hebrew kind of course. And there were a lot of Jews in there. In fact, there were only like three or four of us that weren't. Um, and they could all speak modern Hebrew. Um, so I immediately recognized that they were um, really, really good at the language compared to me, um, who was just trying to fumble through the grammar. Um, and so that to me gave me a taste of um, learning Greek in a way that would be different, right? Like if I if I could do the same thing for Greek um, as, as they did for Hebrew, I would I would be much better. Um, so and 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 that is they kind of gave me a small window into that. And I just, I just started looking for resources in order to kind of develop that proficiency. So okay, so again, here's another first I think for you know people I've talked to. So it was Hebrew, and exposure to people who are using Hebrew and more communicative methods that got you thinking, well, I can do this for Greek. Is that kind of what I'm yeah. understanding? Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and so I like, I was just looking for, you know, all kinds of resources. And so all, that kind of led me to like the BLC material um, and eventually led me to Israel, um, you know, where I got my PhD in Hebrew and, and took classes at the police Institute. Um, and so, so that's where I actually like, learned to speak greek um at police but but up until that point i had still gone through like a decent amount of material um that was like you know just more like usage based material than your traditional um greek textbook and honestly i didn't really have a ton of exposure i mean i i didn't ever take a greek 101 course um in a seminary so i like um, I actually went to seminary for a semester. I had already read through Mounts on my own. Mm -hmm. Or no, sorry, not Mount Mounts, Wallace. <laughs> so <laughs> I I um basically was, you know, doing a lot of stuff on my own. And then I read through Wallace. Um, and so I was like, you know, like pretty good at the grammar. So I could I just tested out of like the first two courses in in seminary. Um and then and and at the time too, so when I went to seminary. Which is, again was only for a semester, but I um I only read the Bible in Greek and Hebrew 
I just like refused to read it in English. Um, I was not that good at Greek and Hebrew. Um, I mean, not anything. I mean, I wasn't, you know, I I was good for that context, um, but I wasn't nearly as good as I would be in Israel. Um, so I just, I just said to myself, like, I, I've got to learn these languages better. So I just like, you know, would carry my Greek and Hebrew Bible around everywhere. Um, so that also kind of, um, you know, just forced you into, into using it more. Okay. So you started with, you're in a Hebrew class and then you picked up Athenese and, you know, uh, into Greek online or whatever the uh, website was and started learning there, uh, kind of on your own, working through a, a Greek course. Um, and then what was the, what was the next step that got you from there to carrying around a Bible and just getting input that way? Yeah. So it really was, really was, um, I mean, just, so I read, read through Wallace. Um, and then I just started tr trying to read. Um, okay. I mean, I actually had, um, Nick actually, um, you know, my partner at Biblingo, he was with me at UG at the time and he took a Greek course in the classics department and at UGA and started with Athenaze as well. So I could see, um, you know, like again, the benefits in that. And like I said, I've never actually taken a Greek 101 course in seminary. So I don't really know what it's like um, in, in some respects, but in other respects, I know, you know, exactly what it's like. Um, but, but like I, I didn't, um, you know, I just didn't, I didn't go the, the mounts route, the typical, yeah. you know, kind of thing. Um, but to, so once I read through Wallace though, I, you know, you just kind of muscle your way through vocabulary and you just get a Greek reader's Bible and you just go for it. Um, and that's, that's, that was kind of my, my philosophy. Okay. Yeah. That, that's really interesting. Um, makes a lot of sense. I think my, you know, I did have a Greek 101 course, but essentially like what got me to any level of competency is basically what you said. It's like a lot of exposure and reading and looking things up in grammars as I needed to know how a construction worked and then just, you know, moving along and trying to get vocab down. Um, okay. Yeah, so that's for sure. And I, I, again, like to me, the shift between like, pre and post Israel like to me that is the like defining moment it was like well like there's everything before Israel and then everything after Israel in terms of like my knowledge of Greek and Hebrew I mean you know so like people would have said that I knew Greek well I mean I, I was only reading the Bible in in Greek um but I just did not come anywhere close to understanding it like I would once I just started speaking it and using it communicatively. I mean, it's just, it was just a night and day difference um, because I just hadn't, like, I, I really hadn't internalized, um, you know, the, the language like, like I would in, in Israel. Okay. So, yeah. So tell us about, tell me about Israel. What, what happened there? Um, you know, I guess, how did you find out about said police? I think you, you'd mentioned. So yeah. How did that happen? Yeah. So, I mean, basically, I mean, I went over there to do my PhD in, in Hebrew. Um, and, but my, my big goal was like, I want to, I just, I want to learn these languages really, really well. Um, and I don't even know how I was, I mean, I was always looking online for resources to learn Greek and Hebrew. And I just, I think I just like Googled, um, you know, um, something like the police Institute, um, like, like, I mean, I just Google, I happened to find it on Google is my point. Um, and, 
And so I saw that they were in Jerusalem and I was like, I'm going there to do my PhD in, in Hebrew. This is how I'm going to learn Greek at the, at the same time. So I would, you know, bus back and forth <laughs> from the university to police. Um, but yeah, that, that experience, I mean, so I had already had, um, I can't remember if I had read through the new Testament, um, the whole thing by the time I got there or not, but I mean, it was close to it if I hadn't done the whole thing. Um, but, um, I, I like, because I'd already had a decent amount of exposure, once you, once you're in the classroom setting and everything's in Greek, everything just starts like clicking so much faster. Um, and, and this was kind of like the experience, um, you know, like students across the board there. Like if, if you are, um, like brand new to Greek, it can be a lot. And it, it, a lot of people say like, Oh, too fast. Um, but if you already have a background, um, it's it's really ideal because there's they throw so much at you but because you've already had exposure it's you can just like soak up a lot really quickly um so yeah i mean i i that's where i just started um learning the languages to to a different degree and really started to develop um intuitions and and that's the like the key difference is before that you know um if you would ask me to produce anything i couldn't and now like if you ask me to produce something I will have intuitions about how to say it. It might not always be right, right? I mean, because I don't have native speaker intuitions, um, but I'll have an idea of like right. how you would say this and how you would construct this. Um, and that that definitely flows into how you understand the text um, because you use those same intuitions when you're, when you're reading. Yeah, and I think that's a, been one of the big benefits just personally for reading. It's like, as I've read more and more, it's like you you read something like, oh, that's this, it's very similar to what they said over here, or that word was used over here in this way and like you you catch those connections that um you're just going to lose in translation because translation necessitates that things have to be translated in context and so we have different glosses for you know things based on context in english and you lose that concordance i guess um yeah and really it's a it's a push for for uh reading quickly as well because if you don't read yeah. fast enough you will miss the discourse level connections um which are which are there but you know, if if you're taking ten minutes to read one paragraph, you just you won't be able to see the connection between you know Romans one and you know whatever in Romans five that like actually is connected because that it's actually still one letter, <laughs> right? Um, right? And so and 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 without being able to, um, I mean, just get through enough text, you just don't you don't see those kinds of things. Well, I think that's I think it's true for any. I mean in any any language we don't read a paragraph in 10 minutes and think you know we're, we're reading that's not how literature you know works in whether it's you know plato or homer or you know greek bible it's you know people would have read large chunks um so you know the, i think the ability to do that's really important too um yeah and that's i think that's one of the big problems in our field in general is really even just a lack of definition of what reading is and a lack of like critical self-reflection. Um, I mean, people actually don't learn to read in Greek courses because they don't like know enough vocabulary to read. <laughs> I mean, it's just like at the end of the day, like, you know, I mean, the, the second language acquisition literature says you need to know like 98% of the words right. um, in order for it to be meaning focused reading. And at the, like most people just never get there. Um, and so because of that, like you're doing something, but it's and it, it, like it might it's might be valuable. Right. But but it's just not the same thing as when you are 
sitting down and reading a novel in English, right? And and you're getting this like grand idea of the the story. Um, that's just not the same thing as, um, you know, what what people will call like exegesis of like a Greek text or whatever. Um, you know, and you're like analyzing it very closely. I mean, that's again, that's fine. Um, it's just not not reading. Yeah, that's yeah. It's it's definitely an a different um a different experience. And one of the things I, I find so interesting is like, if you look at the statistics, like John has about a thousand lemmas, you know, a thousand dictionary entries in it. It's about what, 18,000 words, I think. Um, you know, and so like, that's, that's a reasonable rate of, you know, vocab to, you know, repetitions. Um, so I, I just find it really interesting that there's no textbook. Like, have you ever looked at Clyde Farr's um, Homeric Greek um, I know of it, but I haven't actually looked at it. So it's public domain now. Um, okay. Which is cool, but it's basically built, it's built around getting you through Iliad book one. And it just blows me away that no one has done that, like copied that same thing for John's gospel because like relatively small vocab, pretty long, you know, pretty long book or, or do it for Genesis or for judges where it's like 30,000 words with 2000 lemmas, probably 300 of which are all proper names. So those are free, right? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, or you can get through it with footnotes. So it's like, anyway, I, it's kind of off topic, but that's just one of those things that sits in the back of my head. Like, why doesn't this exist yet? Yeah. Yeah, no, um, for sure. I mean, it, like, I mean, again, if you look at mounts, I, I, I think the textbook has like 450 words ish. Um, and so the problem is like, you're, you're never going to make it like with that, with that amount of words, right. you can't read John at the end because like what, again, what you're doing, I mean, you you could call it like intensive reading or something like that, but like like not just normal reading. And you're 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 you can't sit down and read the book because you don't know all the words, right? And that's where like vo I mean, vocabulary is like the number one predictor in how well you can understand a text. And it's not it's not grammar. I mean, you can like even in even in English when when you know second language learners talk to us. Um, you know, if you if if they use a wrong tense, you know, if they say like, I go to store now, you know, like, oh, I know exactly what you're saying. Right. Um, but if, if they say like, I swim to store now, then you you don't know, you know, like, what do you mean by that? Right. Um, and so so like vocabulary is is like just the number one thing you need to read. Um, and it's just you don't you don't get far enough in pretty much any of the major textbooks um, to actually sit down and read a text. So, yeah, I totally agree. Um, so, you know, one of my usual questions is what did you do to get over the intermediate plateau? But I think you've answered that, right? Like that was polis for you. Um, and that kind of taking all that knowledge you've gotten through your know, reading and you know, Athenese and those, and then bring that into like an active sort of active competency, right? Is that, is that like a fair summary? Yeah, for sure. I, I do. I will say though, at Polis, I at the time I was learning probably too many languages at one time, um, and I, I really couldn't devote um, the time to Greek outside of the classroom in like the first year that I really wanted to. In the second year, what I did, and so the problem, the problem with Polis, um, is like what happens a lot of times is, well, this happens every time. The teacher talks the most, right? Um, and so, like, the teacher gets very good at speaking Greek. Um, and this is like, you know, 
again, I, I think this is like pretty universally, uh, at least at least when I was there as a student, it's universally accepted by the students <laughs> that the teacher is getting better than all of us at a faster rate. Um, and and your opportunities to speak in class are fairly limited. Um, and so what I started to do um, was I took a friend and said, hey, we're we're going to do one on one, ask each other questions in Greek. 45 minutes a day, you know, for the next however long. <laughs> and we just like stayed in Greek and like we are just using Greek and honestly, Greek that we know. Um, and and that to me, that combined with police was really the big thing that helped me over the intermediate hump. So like I having the opportunity to speak in that kind of setting is really is different than a classroom setting um, mm. where you are, you know, one on one or, or one to a few people. And you are, um, you have this like concentrated practice um, that's on your level, and you you are asked to speak, you know, a third of the time or half the time. Um, yeah. That gives you just so many more reps um, than even in the classroom. You can get like like I was very good at listening, um, and that that has a lot of carryover to the other skills. Um, but it it still production is is like really key in language learning um and i think there's you know literature to to back that up and um you just need the right environment in order to do that yeah i i think the difficulty in language learning is the right conditions um, yeah and that's a balance of materials and like you said um having people you can communicate with um you know materials and context it's kind of a you know a combination of can you find all that stuff um yeah and I think the challenge has been that, you know, for so many years, maybe the past century, really, Greek has been you know, vastly under-resourced in terms of all of those things. Um, yeah. So, so I, I, I want to get into Biblingo in a little bit, but let me just ask you one question. What do you do now to continue to improve um, as a, you know, as a Greek, Greek speaker, Greek user? Yeah. So, um, I mean, the biggest thing now is just reading a bunch of texts and honestly, like, again, me reading now is is actually very different than me reading, you know, seven or eight years ago um, when I didn't know it as well, because what I'm doing now is reading. <laughs> and back then it was it was like, you know, every, you know, four or five words, I'd be looking at a gloss. Right. And and so it's it was very, very difficult to get through large chunks of text. Um, and so like right now, I, I'm reading through um you know, the Greek Bible in a year. Um, and I'm a little bit behind and I'm gonna have to like, you know, uh, hurry up to, to catch up. But I, I mean, I've still read, you know, I don't know a thousand pages of Greek this year. Um, which is, which is a lot. Um, you know, so I'm like, and, and honestly, that's the thing is that like, it's very hard to find people to speak Greek with. Um, so I, I'll, you know, randomly talk to my, uh, seven month old in in Greek, um, but my my other kids won't tolerate it anymore. Um, uh -huh. So so other than that, like I I just don't I don't have the space to practice, and I don't, I don't really have the time right now. Um, but but yeah, that's if if I could, if I did have some space, um, definitely getting like conversation partners um, to like sit read a text with in Greek and talk about it in Greek. I yeah. mean, that would be the kind of thing that that I think would be ideal. I've been uh, I've been chewing on the idea of doing like a Zoom Bible study kind of thing where it's just 
do the whole thing in Greek, read, you know, start with first John, something easy and just read through it and talk about it. Yeah. Um, but you know, again, haven't tried to create that, but yeah, um, I, I used to do that. Um, I don't know if you know, Jordash, um, he would, he would do that with, uh, Jordash Kifiak with, um, a group of people. So, you know, I, I had joined that several times, Jordash and, um, you know, just a few other people in that world. Um, and we would just, you know, I, I think we were reading through like, uh, first kingdoms and we would just read through text and, um, just talk about it in Greek. Right. And, and that's the kind of thing that like, yeah, you just, it's very hard to find people that can and are willing to do that. Um, yeah. so anyway. Yeah. So that it's interesting too. Um, I'm just, you know, thinking about other people I've talked to and, you know, one of the things that, um, I did an interview with Luke Ranieri. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he talked a lot about using readers like Thrasymachus or you know, Rouse's Greek boy at home and like just getting tons and tons of repetition um, for some of those, you know, uh, essentially textbooks that are really more reading, you know, natural method oriented kind of thing. So even I think for beginners, like once you've done Athanase, you could do something like that. If you're, if you're still not at the point, you could sit down and read the Greek Bible or read, you know, whatever your target text is, you know, there's, you could still get tons of, you know, real reading just on a simpler text. Um, and thankfully we're starting to see some more of those. So hopefully that's, you know, it's a, hopefully that's a helpful way for way forward for beginners, um, who might be sort of stuck in that space between, you know, I've gotten, I finished my Greek one and two, but I can't quite go into the you know the wilds of real Greek yet. Um, yeah, yeah. The other thing I would I would um, suggest to people, um, you know, would be if you can't like produce it in like a real meaningful conversation, um, then you should at least be reading out loud some of the time. And mm. people don't really understand. Like, I mean, though I, you know, there's a whole like pronunciation thing with the Greek world, <laughs> um, but but like actually pronouncing the words like I, I pick your pronunciation okay i mean i i don't think that's um you know that important of a thing um again i know people disagree with me on that but but the it, it actually pronouncing the words out loud actually does affect how yeah. you read um and like you you do go through phonology um to get to meaning and that's just like how our brains read i mean if you look at like the literature on the neuroscience of reading you are necessarily going through um, the sound system in order to get to the meaning when you are reading. So if you don't have the sound system in place, like you're you're really not reading. Um, and and that's that's a that's a really key component um, that that is just neglected. Like it's it's within the these Greek classrooms. It's like if you don't know how to pronounce things right, then you're you're not going to be able to read fluently. Like it just, it just doesn't work. Um, so, so that would be another thing I would suggest. And reading out loud is not perfect in the sense that like, you're not constructing your own meaning, um, but you're just by getting the sounds, you're doing a lot for yourself. Um, and you're for, you know, it's, it has so many other benefits, but, but just like, I would say, if you don't have that space, some of your reading should be out loud. Well, and the nice thing is sort of, as far as I'm aware of, regardless of what pronunciation scheme you pick, after you've got it, like it's not like English where the word could be spelled 
the same way as other things you know how to predict you ha- how to read but it's pronounced completely differently like once yep. you have a pronunciation scheme reading is is essentially phonetic um yep you know now if you're trying to listen to a different scheme then understanding grammar and things like that might be a different story but the at least the pronouncing it's pretty pretty straightforward once you get it down yep yep for sure okay so so tell me about biblingo um what how did you get from i've you know i've done phd in hebrew and polis and speaking and things like that how did you move that towards like how did that become biblingo yeah well biblingo was before that so <laughs> biblingo that. was really a um in the the idea for sure so like um i went to um get my master's in linguistics for bible translation and i thought that i would go to um do this degree and they would have the resources to learn greek and hebrew because they know how to learn languages in general because they are linguists right um and so you know i took a class on second language acquisition and like none of the principles in that sla class are applied in their greek and hebrew classes and so i was very confused um and i like i still distinctly remember you know walking on this campus um and i was like like there is actually no resource like i mean i there are all these resources out there for um modern languages to you know like use a computer to learn greek and hebrew um in a way that incorporates sla methods um and there isn't one in in for greek or hebrew um so this was back in like 2015 2016 2015 um and so i was like like that has to happen and i'll just do it (laughs) so i mean i so i started it then um in in the like very very early you know seed thought idea phases um so that was before i went to israel when i went to israel i i realized you know obviously like i mean part of the struggle was i needed to get better at the languages um and so i when it when i was in israel realized like oh this is actually like doable now um because i'm in, in this environment where i'm learning the languages and um and we're in a context. So part of, you know, what you learn in, you know, my, so my second language acquisition class was called second language and culture acquisition. So the, and culture piece, um, is, is pretty important when you're learning a language. Um, and it's underplayed, but, but what I realized was being in Israel, I could actually, you know, m- recreate the culture as much as we possibly can, um, there and, um, you know, kind of bring that into the, Greek and Hebrew learning world. Um, so like all of those kinds of, you know, pieces started fitting together. Um, so in um, 2018, we started filming. So I I, I just started like, I, I actually taught Greek um, for um, University of the Holy Land for a semester. And from that, just started building out the curriculum. Um, hmm. Was writing sentences in Greek um and having people just like work through a grammatical progression um and then just we just started filming um these sentences with you know people dressed up in first century garb at reconstructed places in all around israel um and just started pairing those with with the sentences um and so that's really how um 
you know, Biblingo started. Really, it was a really a twofold desire. One was um, I wanted a resource to learn Greek and Hebrew. <laughs> um, so there was like definitely that was like like I want to get better at this language. Like, how do I do it? Um, that was an initial impetus. I mean, w- once I went to you know Israel, I just learned it better. Um, but but second, the really big one was was for Bible translators. So you know, I don't know if, if how familiar you are with the Bible translation world, but basically every translation is done um, from a from a translation. So like I was involved in a project in Mexico. Um, we were translating into Nahuatl, which is a an Aztec language. And basically what they did was they took um, Spanish, a Spanish version. They translated that into Nahuatl. And then they translated that back into English. And I came in and checked that English translation against the Hebrew because no one on the team knew Hebrew. So you're you're talking about like many, many steps removed from the original text. And and so my thinking was like, well, they just need a resource to learn Hebrew, right? Like they just need some way to learn the language so that I don't have to fly over there and check their translation of a translation of a translation against the original, right? Um, and so that that was one of the big things. And obviously, like, you know, we're much broader than just a just the translation world and we like want to help more people than just that. But that was um one of the the big um initial like impetuses it was just to get um was to empower people that really needed Greek and Hebrew um and that really had no way to learn the languages um as it as it stands now. Yeah that 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 does make a lot of sense. Um you know and you know like we said it's you know Greek is under resourced Hebrew probably even even more so um so so your goal is to help provide a way for people to learn basically create the resource you wish you'd had yeah that's okay yeah um yeah so you've mentioned second language acquisition um and i i I love your podcast too by the way i've listened to that and learned quite a bit of really good um you know bits you know uh, i love uh, paul nation's you know four streams it's just such a great way to think about how to build a language learning routine Mm -hmm. um and you know i can see that's that's woven into how Biblingo works. Um, so that's, you know, and, and also like, so you have a degree in linguistics. Yes. Yeah. So my master's in linguistics. (laughs) Yeah. So I, I, my master's in linguistics and my PhD is like technically in Hebrew, but basically all my courses were in the linguistics department. So like in, at Hebrew U it's like you, if you, if you're in Hebrew, you're either straddling linguistics and Hebrew or, um Hebrew and Bible and I straddled Hebrew and linguistics. Um so so that like basically my PhD is in linguistics. Um so and and so uh, to me like that that's really what I wanted. I wanted to be able to apply it, you know, especially to Greek as well. Um because you know once you once you learn the theory, like once you learn, you know, I mean in this case like SLA stuff, um it's pretty much all the same, right? I mean, there's like slight variations, um, but pretty much you would teach any language um, in the same way. You know, again, well, they are very large overarching principles that would stay constant. So let's just put it that way. So so let me just pose this question then. Um, For the average learner, how helpful do you think some elementary grasp of linguistics is for someone who wants to learn Greek? It depends on what they mean by learn Greek. Um, Mm. so 
you don't need linguistics to learn Greek, right? I mean, no native speaker of ancient Greek knew linguistics. Um, so that's okay, right? Um, they knew how to use the language. And so, like, the problem is that in today's discussion on, like, what it means to know and learn Greek, mm. people actually mean something different, right? right? They mean you can look at hoanthropos and say that's nominative case, right? Um, like, who cares, right? If you, if you can use that, you know, noun phrase in the right way every time, right? <laughs> then then you are uh, a user of Greek, right? Um, but you don't need to know that that's nominative case in order to know Greek in that way. So, like, I mean, with Biblingo, we try to we try to teach you both because, like, you you do need to be um, aware that when you open up a commentary, which is you know a lot of people, that's what they're doing. Um, you need to know what nominative case is, right? Um, and and personally, I I think you know, and this is like my research. I mean, I think um, linguistics has a lot to offer, um, you know, New Testament Greek grammarians in their analysis of New Testament Greek. And I think there's a, you know, massive amount of work that can be done in this respect. Um, I mean, there is, and, and I'm, I'm trying to do a lot of it, um, or I'm trying to start some of it. <laughs> um, but um, that's just a completely different thing. Like I, I can, I can speak Greek to my kids. Um, and and as long as I use it consistently and in a meaningful way, they don't have to know any of the grammar, right? They just have to figure out how I'm using the words and the meaning that I'm using with those words. So personally, I think that like if you want to be a serious um, exegete, you know, of the Bible, you need to do both. Like you mm. need to um, be up to date. On the latest grammatical information there is there is a lot of misinformation in new testament greek grammar because a lot of the people that are writing the textbooks are not up to date on the linguistics right and so they're they but and because it's its own separate field they're not getting checked by linguists right and so i would say you know you need to you need to be up to date there right and so and don't don't necessarily go to the new testament greek grammars for it go to the linguistics um you know textbooks for it uh, but then you also, you should be able to use Greek, right? If you can't use Greek, um, like, you know, it, it, again, if you're writing a linguistics textbook, you would either talk about a language you know, or you would have language informants, right? That's how it would work. Like, you can't talk about the grammar of a language that you don't know if you don't have a native speaker or someone that knows the language to tell you how the language is used, right? And so, like, if you want to be really good, you need to learn how to use the language um, just like you would learn Spanish, right? Um, and really use Spanish, right? And so so that would be the, that would be my push is that you should just, you should just do both. Well, I think, I think critically um, the way, you know, the way we do that, at least in English is you learn to speak the language and then you learn the meta, you know, you learn the analysis, you learn the mechanics yep. and all that stuff comes later. Like you don't know what a noun is when you're three, you learn that in elementary school or whatever, yeah. after you're already a competent speaker. And yeah. we've sort of flipped that cart on its head. We flipped it on its head in most classical and you know, biblical Greek courses where we start with the, here's the analysis language to talk about Greek. And then that's where most people stay is 
with an yeah. ability to maybe discuss the language with but with very little ability to use it yeah um and so it sounds like now, biblingo you're you're aiming more at the here let's get you the ability while incorporating some of the you know meta language um you know a, a, as well yeah yeah so i i think there is i mean i this is where i would push back against some of the more communicative guys is like second language acquisition is not the same thing as first language acquisition like it's just well known that it's not i mean it's just and so like you're going to tr- like teach greek differently to a you know 20 year old college student than you would to a 2 year old who you are trying to get them you know just to use greek right like those should not be the same thing and so right. it's okay to say you know here's this pattern we call this nominative case like that's that's it's, that's not a bad thing right and then some people in the communicative world say like oh well you should just like absorb it well like that's fine but you can absorb it through a thousand uses um you know in all in the same kind of context or i can spend 30 seconds in the beginning telling you oh this marks the subject now let's use it <laughs> right in that way um and and people don't have to be confused when they when they start Right. And, and this is what I saw a lot in, um, you know, taking classes at police and BLC, which which are just very, very committed to the immersive method, which I think like the immersive method, like it ha- like it forces you to to learn to comprehend the language, which is good. Um, but like, again, in in Paul Nation's work, right, there is a strand of language focused learning um, that would you would just discuss a paradigm in a language you can understand um and it's a small part of what you're doing but it's still part right and so i i would say that um that information is still useful um it's useful for a learner even if you're only trying to learn to use the language it's useful for a learner to be told explicitly this is what the paradigm is this is how it works very quickly now you can go use it and practice it um rather than them just trying to you know, figure out things sort of on the fly. Um, I mean, I, I think there is a genuine place for that. I think that's where I think that's where adults have an advantage over kids in language learning is that we have the experience of learning a language. So if the conditions are right, so that our brain is internalizing, then we can apply those other learning skills we've picked up through our life to yep. learn quicker and yep, systematize sure. that internalized knowledge of it. Oh yeah, these things are really oh, this is a pattern. It's these things go together and this is how it works and oh yeah. these words are actually alike and i bet i can predict that this other word is going to work like that because i know this pattern like, yeah we can apply those cognitive skills that uh, you know a young child can't do um, right it's it is we, explicit knowledge we can have explicit knowledge about the grammar that we can then make implicit through practice right but if you don't have the explicit knowledge then what you're going to end up doing is kind of you, you're just going to like perpetuate these sort of grammar mistakes right and this is what my kids do like my three-year-old all the time right we'll make the same mistakes and like if i tell him you know this is how it works right um he's still probably gonna make the same mistake right um and and but we can then the next time we you know go to see that construction or, or go to produce that language whatever it is um we can say we can remember that you know, we can remember our explicit knowledge and we say, oh, okay, like actually I need to correct myself. Right. And, and, and so it's, I, I completely agree. You know, obviously like we need to use the language to make 
that knowledge implicit. Explicit knowledge is not gonna like make it implicit. Um, I mean, it's honestly, I, I, I feel like, I mean, I've used this analogy all the time, but it's like, like when you when you're learning an instrument, you know, it's it's not like you just throw out all mechanics, right? It, you know, it's just like oh, I'm just gonna play by ear, and when it sounds good, I'm. I'm done, right? It's like no, like you're you're gonna you're gonna study the technique and the mechanics and all of those things, um, but that doesn't make you a good length, like violinist, right? You actually have to do the thing, right? But then what you should do is record yourself, right? See what you're doing and then change what you're doing based on, you know, explicit meta knowledge, right? That you can you can have as an adult, um, and that's that's where I think. Again, some of the communicative guys, um, I think, could be helped by incorporating more of that stuff. Yeah, and again, it just it seems like you know maybe a little bit of throwing out the baby with the bathwater of like we've had so much grammar translation, so much explicit knowledge, and hoping that that will become something, which it won't. Um, so that now there's you know some people are just pushing it the other way and saying, well, we're going to do all implicit and hope that you know that will work. And it seems yeah. like the lingo's approach and you know what Paul Nation is talking about is like you split your time between you know between the four different strands and the explicit stuff gets like a quarter of your time right so instead of being 99 percent, now it's quarter which right seems a much more balanced approach that lets us use you know like you said intensive practice and all the other learning skills that people have developed um you know throughout their lifetime to to learn this to learn their language so it, it just seems like a, a balanced approach is a good a good thing yeah yeah, I mean that and I think the like the other big piece, you know, that I think we need more of just in general is um just the progression. I mean, I think in in the communicative world, it's very very easy to to get over for like for students to get overwhelmed very quickly um, because yeah. there's so much input thrown at you and so much input that is actually not comprehensible because you only know, you know, two of the three words in a sentence. Um, or really like two of the four, if you know two of the four words, you're probably not going to get the sentence, right? If you know two of the three, you might get the sentence, um, but you might not, right? And so, and so this is where like, you know, it, like the immersion kind of method um, really makes input um, the main thing, which, which is important, but it's comprehensible input that has to be there. Right. And so like you can step into a Greek class and learn nothing, even if you're immersed in the language. Right. Because if it's not comprehensible, then it's not going to help you learn the language. Um, and so I think I think in addition to, you know, that I think just like getting getting the progression to the point where people are always feeling like they're progressing um, and they're they feel like, you know, they are um, always learning something. And it's never overwhelming. That's, I think, the key. Um, you know, they should never feel like, oh, I don't know anything you just said to me, right? And this is like such a normal feeling right. um, in a second language classroom where it's like some people, someone rattles off something in language that's not your first language. And you're like, I have no idea what you said. Please just start all the way over. Um, but that's what we're striving not to be. You know, we're, we're like... You know, Biblingo, we're trying to make everything comprehensible, um, basically so that you know you can you can continue to progress and feel feel motivated and confident in in what you're doing. That's I was actually just I was reading a book I found in the 
uh, used bookstore on a TPRS, you know, teaching proficiency through reading and storytelling. And like, that's one of the points I love that they, they made is like, we don't want to waste time on establishing meaning. We want to get repetitions so that they can internalize and remember and acquire the vocabulary. So, you know, just say what the word means in English. I mean, it may not be yeah. exact, right? I mean, we, we know that different languages, words have different, you know, ranges of meaning and it's not going to match up, but give them whatever's close enough so yeah. they get a gist of what it means and then can move on to understanding and getting enough comprehensible reps to learn the yep. vocab. Um, and, and another point they made that I thought was really good too was grammar is an unknown. So, you know, we can throw, you know, they might know all the words, but the grammar might be new. So there's still something there they have to acquire. So, you know, limit that cognitive burden so that you know, they can, like you said, not feel overwhelmed. Um, yeah, I guess, I, mean, I was going to say, I guess too, with one of the, one of the flip sides of that is that something like Biblingo might feel really slow paced potentially because you're trying to limit that overwhelm and give people enough exposure to, you know, to the words and to the structures that they're, they're actually moving along at a, a rate that they're going to remember and grow and actually get somewhere instead of trying to go too fast, get overwhelmed and quit. Is that? Yeah. yeah I mean, I, the, the, you know, I think um, we've never had anyone tell us you're going too slow <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> because most of the time people come in this, they're like, you know, they've never used Greek in this way. Right. And so it's like, everything's kind of new, even if you've been in a seminary classroom. Um, but, but again, I think like Krashen's, um, you know, kind of suggestion for this. And I, I you know, I, like crashing too within the like SLA world, um, like he ha like had a lot of pushback from what he, you know, the input hypothesis and and some of his suggestions. Um, but within the biblical studies, you know, communicative world, like Krashen's kind of the king, which makes sense if you're focusing on input. Um, but this is a guy, again, it's 1985, right? So we're almost talking about 40 years ago. There's been a ton of work in SLA since then, right? Yeah. Um, that being said, all that being said, one of the key insights was like, you should be at the level of I plus one, I meaning the knowledge that the student currently has, um, plus one, meaning one new element. So the problem is that if, if you have a sentence where there are two new elements, grammar and new vocab word, right? It's often too hard for the student to comprehend the full sentence, which means that sentence was, you know, not, not wasted, but possibly wasted, right? Um, because they didn't, they didn't understand, like the whole point is comprehensible, right? And so if, if they didn't comprehend it, right, then, then you're, you're not getting what you what you really want out of that input. Um, and so that is another, I think, really key point um, is treating basically every single morpheme in the language should be treated like its own separate thing that the student needs to learn and they need to learn it one at a time. If And, and that's what we do. Like when we, we introduce one morpheme at a time. So like if, like in the first lesson, you're gonna learn six vocabulary words, and then you're going to learn, you know, how to use those six vocabulary words with a single grammar topic. And if you do more than that, like what you're risking is you're risking them not learning either. Right. If you teach two grammar topics at one point at, at one time, it's they 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 might not learn either grammar point. Right. Um, and so I think that's a that's a huge point. And, and again, a huge like inside of crashes is, you know, it it always has to be on their level and their level is 
you know, at most they can learn one new thing at one time. Mm. And another, you know, I, I think it's there hiding under the surface, but grammar is, is a way of constructing meaning and communicating, right? So it's not just a bunch of abstract rules. Like they, these sentences mean something. So you have to actually treat them like, you know, vocabulary, yeah. you know, treat these morphemes and these structures as, like you said, an item to learn because it, it is, it's a, it's a way of communicating meaning. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it is just as much a, I mean, again, that, that that's why I said morphemes, right? Any meaningful yep. unit in the language like needs to be learned because you can't, what's going to happen is um, the, the, the first language will just necessarily be inputted into that structure, right? <laughs> because they, they don't have anything else, right? So, so right. if you're just going to like guess at a, at a meaning for the morpheme, like they're going to, or meaning for the, you know, syntax or whatever, um, they're just going to guess their first language, right? Because that's all they know, right? Or, right. or their second or third language, but, but it, they're not going to just like, they have to fill the gap, right? So like, if you have, again, if you have like, um, you know, like I'm just before this conversation was working on, you know, word order. So like, if you have SOV word order in Greek, like people are going to think something about it. Right. And, and, and what they will probably think is some sort of thing that's related to their first language. Right. I mean, that's right. just like, or, or some theoretical construct that they heard from someone else. Right. Um, those are the options. And so, um, yeah, you just, you, you have to be, and I think this is where like semantics is really key. Um, you just have to be really, really careful about about what these things mean and and how you teach them, um, and and that really is dependent upon your your analysis. Um, anyway, so that this is, uh, you know, one of the big reasons why, um, I mean, this is all my research right now, right? Um, of just trying to figure out what all the morphemes mean. <laughs> you know, that's basically the the short yeah. of it. Well, we've uh, we've been at this for about an hour, and it's been. A wonderful conversation. I, I've enjoyed it. Um, I think we have a lot of similar thoughts on on topics and uh, backgrounds too. It sounds like, um, but let me just you know end with uh, two questions. One is you know what are you currently working on, and the second is where can people find you? Yeah. So the first one um, is yeah. I mean, I am working on um, Greek and Hebrew textbooks right now. So um, basically, these will be paired with. Biblingo, um, the basic, like, um, sort of like two arguments of the book, um, are, um, one is if you want to be a good exegete, you should be fluent. Um, and you know, there's a definition of fluent in the SLA literature, yeah. um, you know, that I'm working off of, but basically if you want to read deeply, um, you need to read quickly and there is a correlation between the two. Um, and, um, the second one is that really, we should just be getting our, our theoretical constructs on what all of these grammatical things mean, um, from linguistics proper. Um, and that's the best place to get them. So basically this, these textbooks will be introducing, um, you know, some of the more, um, yeah, just the grammatical terms in more linguistically oriented ways. Um, yeah. so, you know talking about tense aspect modality, you know, it's as an, as an easy example, um, the way linguists talk about them, um, and not, um, necessarily how New Testament Greek grammarians talk about them. I guess again, it's just a different set of literature. Um, so I'm working on textbooks for both Greek and Hebrew. They're like, I don't know, 75% done both of them. 
Um, so I'm hoping to finish them in the next few months. And then um, people can find me really. Um, I mean, I have an academia page. So like that's like more me personally. Um, but Biblingo, you know, .org is obviously um, where the, the software lives. And Kevin at Biblingo.org is, uh, you know, easy enough to find online for yeah. <laughs> for anyone to to have my my email address. So um yeah, that's that's what I'm doing right now. Well, cool. That that sounds uh sounds great. I'm you know, I'm definitely excited for those textbooks because it really was linguistics that made grammar, I mean English grammar, whatever grammar makes sense to me. So um I imagine that will be bring a lot of clarity to people who might be trying to struggle out, you know, what on earth is an aorist, you know, aorist participle, um, et yeah. cetera. So that that'll be great. Looking definitely looking forward to that. So again, um, Kevin, thank you for your time. And uh maybe we'll have you back sometime and find out more what's you know, what's the next thing that Biblingo is going at. So that was great. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thank you. Intro and outro music is Funky Thanksgiving by Admiral Bob, used with gratitude under a Creative Commons 3.0 attribution license. Track can be found at dig.ccmixer.org.